1: Church, uh, I hope you're doing well today, and uh, welcome, welcome to those of you that are also joining us, part of our online family, we love you as well, and um, we're heading into that Christmas season, and uh, so as we do so, we're starting a series today that's gonna head up to Christmas called God Keeps His Promises, and that is a true statement. Today we're gonna be talking about how he keeps his promise when we feel the weight of our own sin. Uh, God has many promises, and they are regarding different aspects. And the common theme, though, is that he is trustworthy, and that when he promises something, uh, he's true to his word. God keeps his promises. And I guess we're just hoping that over the course of this month, that the promise keeper, God himself, would be our focal point You know, because there there are so many things, like vying for our attention any given month. But this particular month, there's just added sorts of things. There's added stressors, and there's concerns, and there's shopping, and there's uh, potential family issues arising, or you still haven't got over the one from Thanksgiving, or whatever it is. And so when we hit December, for us just to focus on God, to put our focus on his faithfulness, that's what I'm hoping and praying for uh, today, but for us for the next several weeks. Um, when, when uh, about, about 20 years ago, I had these friends that I went and met at the lake, and um, the mom, Elizabeth, had several kids. Their youngest was named Austin, and he was about three or four years old at the time, And Austin was having a blast because their boat was beached up on the shoreline and Austin would get up on the bow of the boat and then jump off the bow of the boat onto the shoreline. And he was laughing and giggling because at three or four, it felt like a big, huge leap to him. And then he got his mom in on the fun. He said, mommy, mommy, come over and then when I jump off, I want you to catch me. And she said, okay, okay. So Austin got up on the boat, got on the bow, and said, Mommy, okay, I'm ready to jump. Are you ready to catch me? She said, yes. He said, do you promise? She said, yes. And he jumped off, and she caught him. And then he ran back, but this time he got up on the bow, and he said, Mommy, same thing. I'm going to jump, but I want you to take two steps backward." And so she took two steps back and he he asked, he said, okay, you promised to catch me? And she said, yes. And he took a big leap and she caught him. And then he ran back up for a third lap and he got to the bow of the boat and he said, okay, mommy, I'm gonna do it again, but this time I want you to take two more steps back. And she did. He said, do you promise to catch me? She said, no. And Austin said, why not? Why don't you promise to catch me? She said, Asti, I'm not gonna make a promise I can't keep. And as a 20-something watching this play out, I thought that's a pretty good parenting moment right there. But it's also just a beautiful reminder of how God operates with us. Do you know, do you believe, do you trust that God never makes a promise that he's not gonna keep? When God promises something, he brings it to fulfillment. And that's worth us revisiting for a few weeks. These specific promises, out of the hundreds and hundreds of promises in the scriptures, whenever God promises something, he's always going to come through. You can trust him on it. Now, you and I have the benefit of living in 2022, Whether you believe it or not, there's actual benefits to being alive now as opposed to a couple thousand years ago. Because back then, you know, Joshua, way back in the early part of scripture, talks to God's people and Joshua says, you people know and you have already experienced that every promise that God has made to this point, he has fulfilled, you've seen him fulfill it. Way back in early biblical history, God's people could already testify to many promises of God that God had come through on. But then there were many other promises of God that many people in the Old Testament did not get to see the fulfillment of. That you and I, thousands of years later, have the benefit of looking back at this moment in history and tracking the fulfillment of God promising Things and then coming through on those promises. That's, that's a gift, that's a blessing that we have got right now for you and I to look back. How many promises would God have to make for you to really trust him? How many promises would he have to come through on for you to say, okay, I believe he's faithful. I believe he's trustworthy. Uh, would it be five? Five promises that he fulfilled? Would it be 500? How many would it take? Or maybe a better question. Uh, How long would you give God to fulfill some promises in order for you to trust him? That's probably the more difficult of the questions, right? Because most of us, if we have something promised to us, then we want it fulfilled like yesterday. We'll give God five seconds to fulfill the promise that he's made. But sometimes the fulfillment doesn't come for months, years, decades, centuries after. Right? The the people of God were held captive as slaves in Egypt for 430 years. If you're not real familiar, that's a long time. And you think how many generations came and gone in 430 years where do you think they doubted? I think God checked out. I don't think God's coming through. I think God's bailed on us. But knowing what you know now about history, did God bail, did God check out? No, but during that 430 year period of time, it didn't seem like God was coming through. God's people were set to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They were headed to the promised land, and they got to see the promised land, but they did not get to enter the promised land, and then for 40 years, they're out wandering in the wilderness, in the desert. They had to wrestle with what that was all about, and what God was doing, and all of that. It wasn't an immediate. God's people were then held captive by the Babylonians for 70 years. I imagine there were many people that were older at the beginning of the captivity that passed away during captivity and didn't get to experience the promise of them being freed from captivity. And yet, God was still faithful to the promise. It just happened to be after their lifetime. There's some 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament And there was a blank season there where it felt like, I don't know if God's checked out or he's left or whatever, but we know now, with the cries of a little baby, the silence was interrupted. And that baby was Jesus. And so that's just this powerful reminder that the the length of time that it takes for God to fulfill a promise doesn't change the fact that God was faithful or not. Right? Right? In fact, I believe that there's something about the longer it takes for God to fulfill the promise, that it actually gives more evidence that it was he that's fulfilled it. Because if a fulfillment comes right after somebody says something, then you can always kind of dismiss it as, oh, that was coincidence, that was happenstance, or I made it happen, or it was going to happen anyway, or whatever, But if someone makes a promise, a prediction, a prophecy, and then hundreds of years later it comes to fulfillment, I'm in the camp that says only God could do that. And he is faithful to his promises. And that's tremendously good news to us, especially regarding our sin, when we feel the weight of our sin. Because that is something that God has promised to fix, it's something God's promised to relieve you and I of. Don't forget that. Did you know that when sin enters the world, as recorded in Genesis chapter three, that the promise of a rescue from sin appears right then? Genesis chapter three, verse 15, is the first promise that a savior is gonna come that a Messiah is gonna come. Right at the beginning there, when sin seems to have won the day, God's already promised some hope. He's already promised a rescue from the weight of sin. I'm probably the only one in here that deals with sin. I'm pretty sure. I, I, maybe one or two of you in here, if you got honest for just a minute, you know there's a struggle, right? Um, We're all goofy, I'm goofy, you're goofy. Look at me, I have this ill-fitting sweater. (laughs) Sin affects everything, even sweaters. I went to put another sweater on, it was a knit sweater that you made me buy a year and a half ago, because the first time I moved here, I showed up here, it was negative two degrees. (laughs) And so I went to Kohl's and bought me a knit sweater and it was heavy, and it was pretty, and then I went and got that out yesterday, and I put it on, and it was hanging down to my knees. It's a sinful sweater. I'm goofy, I'm weird. Everything's goofy and weird. There's weird stuff around us, weird products all around us. Remember, Hooked on Phonics? Remember that lame product, if you couldn't read, then you get Hooked on Phonics? Favorite part about Hooked on Phonics was the phone number. Remember the phone number? 1-800-A-B-C-D-E-F-G. It's a pretty good phone number. But I'm watching the commercial for Hooked on Phonics, and this goofy mom, she goes, oh, our poor little boy Jimmy was having trouble reading, and we didn't know what we were gonna do until we saw the commercial for Hooked on Phonics. Then she said, but I must have written down that phone number a 1,000 times. It's the alphabet, (laughs) ma'am. Maybe it's not Jimmy that has the problem. Maybe it's you. See, we're all goofy. We're all kind of weird. And it's one thing when we make a mistake or do something goofy or whatever, but there is a different sort of thing that's called sin. And that is a disobedience to God and his ways. That is an operating independent of God. That is something that hurts you and your heart and your soul. It has the potential to hurt other people. And it breaks our relationship with God. And that's something that he hates. He hates sin because of what it does to our relationship with him and with each other. And so you can bet that he's made a solution to that which he hates the most. He's promised a solution to the catastrophic effects of sin that would separate us from ever from the Holy One. Rather than leave us in that condition, he promised to rescue us from it. That's a beautiful blessing for you and I to be reminded of, or if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I don't believe it's a coincidence that you're here or that you're listening to this. But I believe wholeheartedly that God's been pursuing you for quite some time now with love, with compassion, and he sees the, the weight of the sin that is on your shoulders, on your heart, and on your soul, He sees what walking independent from him is doing to you. And because he made you, he loves you. And he doesn't want to be far off from you. And he knows you're stuck. And so he sent Jesus to be a solution for your sin, a solution to fix a broken relationship with God. I think sin's our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is not money, our biggest problem is not our personal health, our biggest problem is not relationships with other people, it's not work, it's not government, it's not social media. The biggest, weightiest problem of the world is sin. It's people that, like we're all prone to do, just have this magnetic pull to go our own direction, go our own way, do our own thing, ignore God and a relationship with him. And that has ripple effects to every area of our life. The author of Hebrews has an awful lot to say, both about sin and Jesus. I want to share from Hebrews chapter three something that is powerful because what the author of Hebrews Regards here in, in chapter 3 is specific to this pattern that we're stuck in. And the, the pattern that we're stuck in is we're constantly unfaithful. But God is faithful despite our unfaithfulness. The pattern is we're prone to go our own direction, we're prone to ignore God, we get stuck in our sin, we get held captive to it, we eventually cry out and God we find thank thank you God. He's already in pursuit of us, he's already made a plan, he's promised something to rescue us and I thank God for that. But that pattern is evident here because what's going on here, Hebrews, if you turn there, It's near the end of your Bible. That's in the New Testament. This was written hundreds of years after what was written in the Old Testament. And so he's gonna describe here something in Hebrews chapter three, written in the New Testament, where he quotes from Psalm 95, which is in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before, that itself was referring back to the Exodus when they got out of captivity in Egypt and were on their way to the promised land but were still struggling, still disobedient. In other words, in the New Testament, they're talking about a sin struggle, referencing Psalms in the Old Testament where they struggled with sin, referencing way prior to that in history where they struggled with sin. And so it's just a nice way of saying we've all struggled with sin, Over and over and over again, it's the human condition. We're stuck. And in Hebrews chapter three, verse seven, it says, so as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, referring back to Exodus where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. It keeps going. So I declared on an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. But then look, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily. As long as it's called today, as long as there's life in your lungs, breath in your lungs, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Here's what's always going to get your heart and my heart into trouble with regard to sin when we, according to the author of Hebrews here, when we hear the word of God, the direction of God, and we disobey. Every single time we hear God say, I would very much think this is in your best interest to head this direction, to operate this way, and we go our own direction, there has kind of this hardening effect on your heart. There's a distance that you just put between you and the Lord. You're just saying, no, I don't want, I'm gonna do my own thing, thank you very much. You take a step away. And then you take another step away. And then another step. And pretty soon, there's tremendous distance between you and the Lord. That'll always get your heart and my heart into trouble. And you start to feel the weight of your own choices and your own sin in that moment. What he also says is that God's people, much like many of us here today, still struggle with, just not knowing God's ways. Another thing that'll get your heart into trouble isn't so much willful disobedience, Hey, I heard you and I'm gonna ignore you. I heard you, but I'm definitely not gonna do that. Sometimes what gets our hearts into trouble is just being like ignorant or unfamiliar with who God is, what he's promised, and what he's actually called you to. You're just like, I I didn't know. And that might be many of you. You go, I didn't even know this was sinful. I didn't even really know what sin was. I didn't know I was disobeying. I didn't know this was the good thing, and I've chosen something else. But that can still have, if you're just unfamiliar with the character and nature of God, if you're unfamiliar with what he has called you to, some of the guardrails or direction or guidance or counsel, then you will be prone to kind of just be figuring out on your own. And more likely than not, you'll wander off and that'll have a hardening effect on your heart. But what he also calls us to is encouraging one another daily, which tells me that there's something that can be damaging to your heart and your heart and my heart when when we try to go it alone in our walk with God. If you're a lone ranger and, and you don't have any encouraging friendships, no good friends, or family members, or brothers and sisters in Christ that really truly care about you at a sacrificial level, that, that know the Lord and can come alongside and be an encouragement to you, if you're wandering out there alone, you'll be easy to be picked off. And you're left really with your own thoughts and whatever the enemy wants to do in that particular moment. And, and so there's a number of things that get your heart into trouble and sin does its best work in these particular moments where you might have a, a hard heart. So scripture talks about the hardening of people's hearts. Kind of the receptor to who God is and what he said, rather than having a soft or sensitive or tender heart, willing and receptive to what God says. Scripture talks about it being kind of desensitized, numbed out. Timothy talks about it being a a seared conscience. I burned my thumb right here on our stupid electric broiler in the oven, and it, it seared part of my skin right here. And now the feeling right there, I don't have a feeling right there, right next to what I do. You get a seared heart, a seared conscience because of continued sin, habitual sin, unrepentant sin, then it doesn't surprise me anymore that you don't hear from God, you don't care about God, you're tuned out on him. And that's, I just, I'm so deeply in prayer just the last 24 hours, especially for those of you that are either already a follower of Jesus and and wrestling with a particular sin, or maybe those of you that just, you've never had that relationship with him. Have you never known that there's a way out from the weight that you're carrying and feeling? It's real. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This sinful thing is a human condition. But God's perfect and we are not. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. What we earn for our sin, what we deserve, is death. Death biblically tends to mean separation. And if you've thought about it for any period of time, you know that when, when you've sinned against someone else or they've sinned against you, did that bring you two closer together? No, what did it do? It separated you. And it's the same in our relationship with God. When I continue to sin, it just brings a separation there and that is a death of sorts that if it's left undealt with, it's basically just saying, I don't ever want to be with you, God. I want to stay separate with you, God. And as much as God loves you, he'll never force you into relationship with him. That's, that's part of your decision in the matter. Romans 5.8, though, finally we get some good news. But God demonstrated his love toward us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All of a sudden, here comes this hope, this promise that Jesus is coming, there's a savior that's coming, and God's already established this this kind of odd thing where the sins of one are gonna get transferred to another. And he had established this odd that makes no sense to us in our modern culture today, Western culture today, animal sacrifice. But it was a process whereby a ritual activity, the sins of the people would be put on an animal. And and that animal, a goat, would be called the scapegoat. And they would take the sins of the people on itself the punishment of the people on itself, and it would be punished, it would die, rather than the punishment ending up on the people. And yet it was really just a picture of what was to come in Jesus. It was the moment pointing toward the cross, and so much as our struggle with sin is real, God had promised that the Savior was gonna come And that he was gonna be our hope and what Jesus was gonna do on the cross. The cross is where mercy and justice meet. The justice of God met with the mercy of God right there on the cross. And Jesus willingly volunteered for it and said, enough with this animal sacrifice stuff that's temporary, it's just a picture anyway. I'm gonna take care of sin once and for all. Any judgment that needs to go out, any punishment that needs to go out from a righteous God, Jesus says, Father, I will take it on me so your people don't have to take it. Man, what a gift and what a blessing. And that's been promised hundreds of times throughout the scriptures And then you and I live on the other side of history now to look back and see that Jesus actually came and that he died, and then he didn't stay dead, but then three days later, like he said he would, he rose from the grave, conquered sin and conquered death. And right now, he's alive. Compared to every other religious leader, still dead in their tombs, but not Jesus. He's alive and he's contending for you right now. He's praying for you right now. He's still loving you all the way from the cross right now. He's wanted to free you from the weight of your sin right now. He's been promised since Genesis chapter three, and he's came, and then he's going to come again. We're going to be in his presence at some point. Hebrews chapter twelve, verse one, comes on the heel of Hebrews eleven. That's the hall of faith. You got these amazing faithful followers of God who also struggled and yet they finished the race despite the struggle in sin, despite the struggle of just a world messed up by sin. And it's it's like they're cheering us on, the rest of us that are still here and in the race. And there's this acknowledgement again about sin and the hope, the promise of Jesus. Look at Hebrews 12, verse one, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. I love, I love that the Bible just acknowledges, like, we're sinful, sin's a deal, everybody struggles with it, even people in the scripture that walked with God, still struggled with sin. It easily tangles us up. This is not uncommon. We're all gonna be subject to it. Then here's the call, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. How do we run this race with endurance? Well, it says right here, verse two, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We're not gonna keep our eyes on the circumstances. We're not gonna keep our eyes on the sin. We're not gonna keep our eyes on the guilt and the shame. We're not gonna keep our eyes on stuff that we could just numb out from the pain of all of this stuff. But any hope that you and I have in the weight of sin is found in fixing our gaze on Jesus, the Christ. And and when we fix our gaze there, look at what we'll see. Look, because of the joy awaiting him, man, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now, he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Listen, verse three. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. In other words, it's like God through his word is saying, Jesus went through some stuff. Jesus faced temptation and yet he did not sin. But Jesus went through some stuff. He's approachable. He knows what it's like to be human. When you struggle and you're struggling against sin and you look to Jesus, you'll look to someone that looks on you with empathy. When you look to Jesus, he's looking back at you with sympathetic eyes. Not eyes of condemnation. He's going, no, I get it. It's a tough road down there. So I guess what I'm thinking is just, if you're under the weight of your sin, you're feeling the weight of your sin. If right now you're feeling the weight, there's some sense in you that's just saying, gosh, I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling the hurt that comes with sin. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. Part of me wants to say, good. Because feeling the weight of your sin is an indication that your heart's not hardened up yet. There's at least some part of it that's still soft and sensitive enough for you to recognize this is sin and there's gotta be something better. Or I know this is sin and I know what God's calling me to do. There's still sensitivity going on in here between you and the Lord. So if you're feeling the weight of your sin, then good. But feeling the weight of your sin is different than you having to continually bear the weight of your sin. And you were never meant to bear the weight of your sin for your entire life. If you do, it'll kill you. And Jesus knew that, God knew that. That's why he promised to rescue in the person and the work of Jesus on the cross. This is where it all got fixed at the cross 2,000 years ago. And the faithfulness of God, the promises of God came true and were fulfilled. God sent his greatest help for our greatest need right there at the cross. The greatest help was God himself. And our greatest need was not more money or a relief from circumstances or a physical healing Our real need was a spiritual healing. Sin is a disease that we're all infected by. It's a spiritual disease. So we needed a spiritual doctor. And only God could take care of it. And he voluntarily did at the cross. Do you trust him with it? Now if someone had promised me that there was a solution and a help, and for hundreds of years that was promised, and then that actually came true, I would be more likely to trust these sorts of words, that looking to Jesus is somehow relief from my sin. And I look at this, and you go back, go back, you go back to Isaiah, go back to Isaiah. We'll talk about a promise of God concerning Jesus, and then we're done Some six, almost 700 years prior to Jesus the Christ walking the earth. Some six, 700 years prior to crucifixion even existing as a form of execution, Isaiah. Okay, keep that in mind. Here comes some promises of God regarding this suffering servant who would be a rescue for us from sin. And I'll leave it up to you. Use your heart and use your mind as you listen to a promise six, 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, before crucifixion was a thing. I'll let you decide and wrestle through whether you think this promise is concerning Jesus Listen what Isaiah writes, verse 3 of chapter 53. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. And so the suffering servant described In Isaiah chapter 53, it continues on with some more promises, some more prophecies about this rescuer. You find here that he was gonna be despised and rejected. You find that he's gonna be acquainted with the deepest sorrows and grief. You find that he's gonna take the punishment for sin on himself. You find that he's gonna keep silent before his accusers. I'm just gonna ask you, like, not manipulative at all. Like, who does that sound like to you? Even if you're not a Christian. This was written 680 some years before Jesus the Christ walked the earth, went to the cross. This is before crucifixion was a thing. Who does this remind you of? Go open up Psalm 22 and read Psalm 22 before crucifixion was a thing and ask yourself, what does this sound like? Who does this remind me of? My goodness, there are so many promises pointing the way if we tune in and what that can do for our hearts and our souls and our faith. I hope, I hope, I hope it's a comfort and a strength. Go read for yourself. Go read in the New Testament about the The Gospels, you you read through the Gospels which are a historical account of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Go read for yourself whether or not he was despised and rejected when you read Luke 13 and John chapter one. Go read for yourself whether he was acquainted with sorrow and grief. You read Matthew 14 and 23 and John 11. Go read for yourself in the Gospels in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 22 and 23, and John 19 about Jesus bearing our sin as he went to the cross, endured it, disregarding its shame for your sake and my sake. See if that's a fulfillment of the promise from your perspective. Read Matthew 27 and Mark 14. And check out if you feel like this is Jesus fulfilling this promise that he would be silent before his accusers. And these sorts of prophecies and predictions go on and on. The promises of Scripture are so many, and God keeps them all. Yes, there are some that where we're at in this particular moment in history have not yet been fulfilled, but tons of them have. And there's accounts about the promises of God, scholars that go through and say that there are probably hundreds, more like thousands of promises of God in the Scriptures. Now there's a debate about the number of those promises. Sometimes there's a debate about what actually is a promise and what isn't. But more often the number changes based on uh, if if the same promise is referenced multiple times, do you count that every single time or is it just count as one? You know, And there's those sorts of things that change the number. That doesn't matter. What matters is, all these different promises that are right here for us in the scriptures, knowing that God keeps his word and you can go back and track it, and especially with regard to sin, especially with regard to Jesus. One calculation says that there are some 300 prophecies just concerning the Messiah, the savior of the world, this Jesus that we see. Of those 300, there's probably 48, 50, 60 that are the main ones. You know what the odds are? That just any random person, any random Joe or Jane, could randomly fulfill all of these prophecies and predictions, I mean it's, it's impossible that someone randomly could. Only God could do it because there's so many. And there's stuff that you can't just be in the right place at the right time. Some of the prophecies are like where Jesus was gonna be born. Jesus couldn't figure that out. He didn't have any say over that, except that he's God. God could orchestrate it, but a human being could not. But the odds are insane. A professor and mathematician did a study on the odds of one person in the first century just happening to fulfill, not 48, but only eight. Only eight of the crystal clear prophecies. Here's the odds of one person randomly happening to fulfill eight of the prophecies about the Messiah. The odds were one in 10 to the 17th power. That's, 10 with 17 zeros after it. I'm not a mathematician, but that's a big number. That's ridiculously impossible odds. And then many have gone on to describe it this way. What it would be like is this. If you took enough silver dollar coins to represent that number, 10 with 17 zeros, you took as many of those as were coins, you'd have enough coins to fill the entire state of Texas two feet deep. And then if you took one, only one, of those coins and you painted it red and you randomly placed it somewhere in Texas, somewhere in the two feet deep pile and then you tasked a blind person To go drive across Texas, well a blind person probably shouldn't be driving, but it's beside the point. You have them just randomly wander throughout Texas and they only got to stoop down once, reach down and pick up one coin. The odds that they would wander through Texas blind and the moment that they reached down and picked up the coin that was red, that's the same odds that a random person would have fulfilled only eight of the prophecies about the Messiah. Jesus did not just fulfill eight. He fulfilled every single one of them. And those promises of God have got to do something for your faith. But what I'm hoping and praying for specifically today is for those of you that are feeling the weight of the sin. Because Jesus didn't come just to be your buddy. He came to fix your relationship with God. He came to forgive you of your sin. And how's about rather than turning away from the living God, you turn away from all the sin and turn to face Jesus? How's about say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you are. God, I believe you made all these promises, and now I'm going to put my faith and trust in you. I'm going to jump off the bow of that boat, and I know you'll catch me, because there's so much evidence to the fact that that's who you are, that's the way you operate. If that's you here today, and you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus, you just need to have a conversation with him right now, right where you're at. Your own words, there's no magical formula. You just need to be honest and sincere with him and right now just say, God, I'm sinful. I didn't even necessarily know that that's what it was, but I'm doing my own thing, ignoring you, going my own direction. But I believe, God, that you promised a rescue. And that was Jesus. So Jesus, I want you to sit in the driver's seat of my life please forgive me of my sin and now walk with me, help me. It'll be right there in an instant for you. It's a moment in time thing. It's very important. And even if it's just planting the seeds now and you wrestle with that over the next couple of weeks, do it. Christians, those of you that are here wrestling with your own stuff, your own sin, look to Jesus Fix your gaze there. He gets what it's like to struggle. But remember what he's already done. And remember the faithful one that promised to free you from your sin. And look at the gentle, gracious, empathetic eyes of Jesus just saying, I love you this much. That's why I came. That's why I died. God promised God fulfilled, Jesus came to bring the relief. Will you receive it? I'm praying that you do. And so gracious heavenly Father, we just thank you for doing stuff that only you can do as God. Thank you that you did make promises that we can go check and process and wrestle through. Thank you that there are so many that we can look and see their fulfillment. Thank you for what that does to our faith. Thank you for being patient with us. I pray right now specifically for those that are under the weight of their sin. Pray for those that don't have a relationship with you. Right now, you would just be ministering to them and loving them all the way from the cross that they'd have their ears tuned in to the love and the hope that you have for them. And if that is you, then You talk to God right now, and then would you tell somebody else, if you're online, tell somebody, that's me, I'm stepping into a relationship with Jesus for the first time. And they'll help you from there. If you're here in the room, you tell somebody here in the room, before you go, I stepped into that relationship with Jesus today, and there's people here that would love to pray with you afterward or answer any questions. And so Father, we'd be quick to give you the praise and the glory. Someday, we look forward to Years from now, we're just in your presence and we get to see the full scope of all the promises fulfilled. In the meantime, God, we're just looking to you. We're looking to Jesus as our only hope. It's in his precious and powerful name we pray. Amen.
0: Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that. And you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us. And please join me again next week for the Connection Point podcast.